0: So we are working through Paul's letter to the church at Rome. And let me give you a recap of what we've seen so far just to kind of bring us all up to speed. So here's a picture. We've got kind of three main sections. First of all, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, Paul introduces himself through this letter to the church there in Rome. And then he summarizes his gospel. Summary is that by trusting Jesus, we can be completely forgiven for our sins and restored into the joy of knowing God, now and forever. Summary of the gospel. Then Paul wants to dig deeper though, not just, summary's not going to do, let's dig deeper into this. And so in chapter 1 verse 18 through chapter 3 verse 20, Paul explains why the gospel is so important. Why is this good news so crucial? And the reason is because we've all sinned, we all face God's wrath, and there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. We are lost. And we need a Savior. That's the bad news. Chapter 1 verse 18 through chapter 3 verse 20. Here's the good news then. Chapter 3 verse 21 through chapter 4 verse 25. In amazing love and compassion God sent His Son Jesus to pay for the sins of all who trust Him. And because of Jesus' death God counts our undeserving faith as perfect righteousness, a perfect righteousness that covers our entire lives. Our undeserving faith is counted as perfect righteousness. Amazing salvation that God's done. Now that brings us to chapter 5. Last week, Aaron powerfully taught us Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. This week's passage, verses 6 through 11, continues the same theme. So I need to review what we covered last week. So I'll we'll be up to speed, and then we head into the the new section for this morning. So, as Aaron showed us last week, in chapter 5, Paul starts off explaining, here's what's true for all those who are trusting Christ and have been justified through faith in Him. Because here's what's true for you. Beautiful things that are true for you because you're trusting Christ. First of all, we have peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So no longer do you look up to God and see and feel wrath, which is what was happening before we were saved. Now there's peace. Sweet peace. Love, intimacy, peace. It's beautiful. You have peace with God. What a precious gift Jesus has given to us. Second, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's Romans chapter 5, verse 2. Through Him, through Christ, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The only joy that will fully satisfy us is the joy that God created us for, which is beholding His glory in Christ. Seeing His love, seeing His beauty, seeing His majesty, power, wisdom, knowledge, compassion, all displayed in Christ. That's God's glory in Christ. And saved people are full of joy in beholding God's glory, anticipating the hope that we're going to have in heaven of being face-to-face with God in all of His glory. That's us. Third, this is challenging. We rejoice in our sufferings. Verses 3 and 4. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. The Bible is clear that followers of Jesus all suffer. Very clear on that point. There will be disappointments, sickness, heartbreak, setbacks, persecution. Every follower of Jesus will suffer. Jesus promises that. But we can and should rejoice in our sufferings because suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. Now what does that look like in real life? Let me give you an example. Let's say that you just got a brand new manager at work. And this manager is horrible. Dishonest, disrespectful, rude, not understanding, hardly works, just bosses people around. It's a terrible manager that you've gotten. Brand new, there he is and there you are. Suffering. That would be a terrible thing, wouldn't it, if that were to happen? But Paul says that because we've been justified by faith, Fully forgiven by God, have peace with God. Because of this, we can and should rejoice in our sufferings, like having this terrible, demanding, unfair boss. Now, how's that possible to rejoice in that situation? Who would feel joy with a manager like that? Not me. Not you, right? That just does not come naturally at all. Everything in us wants to feel, what? Bitter? Frustrated? Disappointed? Angry? How could this be? This isn't right? Everything in us is going to want to be going around complaining to people and grumbling to people about our new manager, right? Church, is that right? That's what comes very naturally to us, okay? Okay. But we've been justified by faith. There's peace with God. We know, because of that, that God is for us. Changes everything. He's in complete control of who your manager is or isn't. And he's promised to use every situation, including the sufferings and the trials, to bring you even more joy in him. He's promised that. And He has said that He will strengthen your faith so you can believe those promises when you're in the midst of suffering. We need His help for that, don't we? I need His help desperately. He promises to strengthen our faith so we can believe His promises. So what do we do? Oh, Lord, this is hard. So we pray. We ask for His help. I'm bitter. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. Help me to trust You. Bring peace to me. Fill me with joy. Help me. Strengthen me. Come and meet me. And then we open up the Bible. We open up the scriptures. And we pray over the promises that God gives. Because we don't always believe those promises. But if we open up the Bible and pray over them, God will strengthen us. As we do that, we will start to feel God's help coming into our hearts. Sensing our faith rising, our faith increasing, our faith being encouraged. That's what will happen. And so even though it's hard, and it's hard, we are trusting his promises. It's hard, and we're trusting. And see, that produces what? Endurance. When you're going through something hard and you keep going, endurance grows. I thought about like Iron Man competitions, or are there Iron Woman competitions? Endurance is what that's all about, right? So spiritually, we're becoming iron men and iron women. Our endurance is growing. Suffering produces endurance. That's what Paul says. And as you keep trusting and enduring, what happens is that endurance will produce character. That's your who you are, what you're like. It'll produce character. So instead of feeling bitter and angry, you, you look at your heart and there's, there's strength there. There's peace there. It's amazing. Not only that, but you, you do let other people know so they can pray for you, but it's not about grumbling and complaining and being bitter. It's, would you pray for me? God's helping me, but keep praying for me. And here's some promises that have been helpful for me. So you're seeing that your heart is strong. Your heart is at peace. There's even some joy anticipating what God's going to do. And instead of being a a grumbling person and a complaining person, you're you're sharing your need, but, but you're an encouraging person. Endurance is producing character. And when you see that happening in you, I mean, that is just so unusual for us, right? And when you see that happening to you, you say, well, whoa. Where did that come from? It's just not me. And, and you know what the answer is? Where did that come from? It came from your salvation. It came from Jesus. Filling you, strengthening you, changing you. Jesus' love is at work in your heart. And because you see that character, you think, that makes me know I really am saved. That character shows that I've, I'm being, cha- I'm not perfect, I'm not sinless, but I am being changed. And so that character shows all the more you are saved. You have increased joyful assurance of the salvation so you know for sure you're going to be in, in heaven. And that's how character produces hope. The joyful assurance. Yes, I am saved. Look at my heart's change. This is beautiful. So suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And it's that hope, that hope is the basis of what carries us through so we can rejoice through suffering. It's hope that fuels the joy in suffering. Hope of heaven ultimately, which is what Paul's talking about here. That will fuel your joy. If we struggle with suffering, which we all do from time to time, having endurance produce character, produce hope, will give us that joy as we anticipate heaven, the glory of God. So it all rests on hope. And then look at what Paul says in verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. At this point, Paul anticipates a question. It's all resting on hope where we're seeing that. But what if that hope puts me to shame? What if that hope disappoints me? In other words, what if it turns out that I'm not really saved at all? I I show up in heaven and God says, sorry. Or even more frightening, shocking thought, what if I die and there is no God? There is no glory of God that makes all my sufferings worth it. What if this hope puts me to shame in some way? It's a fair question. You may be having that question. Remember, our joy and suffering is resting on that hope of heaven. What if that hope fails me? Paul anticipates that question. And Paul gives two answers to that. One we saw last week as Aaron was preaching. It's that God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. When God saves us, he gives us an actual experience of his love. We feel his very love pouring into our hearts. Notice that Paul's assuming that all of his readers would be nodding. That's right. That's what happened. God poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You're right, Paul. That's exactly what we experienced. Now this is different than just believing that God loves you. I mean, that's That's the foundation. Our feelings can go up and down. This is the foundation. But in addition to knowing that God loves you, God gives us times where we feel his very love for us. He's he's loving me. He's here loving me. And what does that do for our hope? It does everything for our hope. God's real. This love is so beautiful and so strong. This is God's love, and he loves me. That means I'm saved, I'm forgiven. So God's real, I'm saved, and this love is so beautiful and so glorious. If if I can be with this loving God who has this kind of love forever, it'll be worth all the suffering. And so having God pour his love into our hearts, persuades us, convinces us, assures us that that hope will not put us to shame. It will not disappoint us. Do you see how that works? Now, just one side note, let's be clear that this love that God pours into our hearts is not constant. I mean, it is nowhere near constant for me. I know that by experience. Um, but He gives us times where we experience that. And then there's times where we don't, right? Come on. Okay, yes, that's how it is. In heaven, no, no, no. Face to face, forever, permanent, constant. Bring it. Now, Okay, and so we have times, and so what I want to encourage you to do, let's be praying for each of us individually and for us as a church, but let's ask God, Lord, pour out more of that love upon us. Pour out more. Are you, are you pressing in to experience that love? That's a whole other topic we'll talk about sometime. But that's the first reason Paul gives us for why hope does not put us to shame. But there's a second reason, and this brings us into today's passage. Okay? second way we know this hope is real, verses 6 through 11. Now let's dig into this answer by asking this question. How else can we be sure this, love, this hope won't put us to shame? Paul tells us in verses 6 through 8. Let's read those again. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, someone or one would dare even to die. But God shows, shows his love to us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Another reason we can be certain that this hope of heaven will not put us to shame or disappoint us is because God has shown us his love in history. He's shown it to us. So we not only have times where we feel God's actual love in our hearts, we have seen God's love in history. That's what we're talking about here. Now, think about this. 2,000 years ago, just outside of Jerusalem, Jesus died on the cross. God displayed his love to us in Jesus dying on the cross 2,000 years ago in history, publicly displayed for all to see. Now, none of us were there. So we didn't see that, but here's what God has done. God has made sure that there would be eyewitness-based documents, historical eyewitness-based documents from people who were there, who described what happened. And those documents are in our Bibles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each of the four Gospels, they describe God displaying His love through Jesus, and those are all based on eyewitnesses. Not only that, but Peter was there. Remember, he's the one who denied Christ. Peter was there, and he wrote the letter of 1 Peter in which he describes Christ's death on the cross. Not only that, John, who wrote the Gospel, but he also wrote the letter called 1 John in the book of Revelation, and both of those he describes Jesus' death. So our our, our New Testaments are full of eyewitness historical documents describing exactly what happened when Jesus died on the cross so that we can read those and see God showing his love to us in history, in public, in reality. That's what God did. So God shows us that the hope of heaven is not going to put us to shame. It's not going to disappoint us in two ways by pouring his love into our hearts and by displaying his love publicly in history. Now to dig into that a bit more, let's ask this next question. What does the cross show us about God's love? God shows us his love through the cross. So, okay, so what, what is he showing us? What is this about? What do we see about his love from the cross? And to answer this question, we need to remind ourselves about who Jesus is. Remember, Jesus said in John 14, verse 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus says that because Jesus himself is fully God. He's the radiance of the Father's glory, the author of Hebrews tells us. Remember, there's one God, the Bible teaches, in three Persons. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is fully God. The Spirit is fully God. The Father is fully God. Jesus is fully God. So think about this. Jesus, the one who is suffering and dying on the cross, is fully God. So we need to understand this about Jesus to really get the full picture of what God is showing us in terms of the love displayed on the cross. That means Jesus has always been from eternity past with no beginning, along with the Father and the Spirit, full of joy in their fellowship together, from eternity past with no beginning. God, this is who Jesus is. So he's always been with infinite power perfect knowledge, absolute authority and sovereignty, blazing glory. Jesus is fully God. And in great love, God the Father sent Jesus the Son to lower himself to become a man and to lower himself even more to die on the cross. And Jesus was in full agreement. He was in full agreement with that with what the Father's plan for salvation was. Jesus loves us. The Father loves us. We're talking here about how God the Father displays His love in allowing His Son to become a man and to go to the cross. Great cost for the Father. Great love from the Father. So I want you to think about the massive humbling that was involved in Jesus doing this. Think about the fact that Jesus, fully God, was born as a baby. We celebrate this at Christmas. But I mean, think about that. God. Held in Mary's arms. Think about how Jesus, fully God, became a man who experienced weakness and thirst and hunger. Never in eternity past did he ever experienced those things. Never. Now he is. Taking on humanity. Taking on being a human being. Think about how Jesus, through whom everything was created, had no place to lay his head. The the, the humbling we're talking about here, the the lowering we're talking about here. Jesus, who was sinless, perfect God, was accused of being a drunkard, a glutton, a deceiver, of being demon-possessed. Just the, The humbling he experienced. Jesus who deserves all praise and glory forever was betrayed by one of his own disciples. One of his own disciples turned his back on him, sold him out. The shame of that. Jesus, fully God, sweat drops of blood the night before the cross as he anticipated what he would face the next day fully God, sweating drops of blood, drops like blood. Jesus is the one to whom one day every knee will bow. Every knee. Some joyfully and willingly, some angrily and rebelliously. But every knee will bow toward Jesus. And the one to whom every knee one day will bow was blindfolded and was beaten and was spat upon and was mocked. Are are you you seeing the, the lowering, the humility, the humiliation that Jesus experienced? And then, as you know, Jesus experienced the 39 lashes, which was one less than the Roman soldiers thought would kill someone. And he was nailed, hands nailed, feet nailed to the cross, which was the worst form of execution the Romans could come up with. And he hung there in Unimaginable agony for hours. But worse than that, far worse than that, is that Jesus who for eternity had only known joy and love in the fellowship of the Father and the Spirit, now on the cross, and there's mystery here, but now he is having the wrath poured out upon him that we deserve for our sins. The infinite wrath that we deserve poured out upon Jesus. That's what happened on the cross. Now that's Jesus' love being displayed. We're used to thinking about that, but also this is the Father's love being displayed. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is the Father. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think of the love of the Father. He did not spare His own Son, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, but delivered Him up for us all. His Son, whom He loves, Jesus. Sending Him to the cross to suffer on the cross, to die on the cross. So in all of this, God is showing us His love. In history, publicly, eyewitnessed, for all to see, God is showing us His love. So let's break down. What does Paul say the cross actually shows us about God's love? Here's some descriptions. One, God's love is compassionate. Look at the first words of verse 6. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We were weak, especially morally weak. We could not do anything to change our hearts. We could not do anything to change our ways. We could not do anything to pay back our sin. But God saw us in our weakness. He saw we are weak, we are helpless, there's nothing we can do. And in great compassion, God sent his own son to the cross to pay for our sins. This also shows that God's love is undeserved. Look at the last part of verse 6. Start with the beginning. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. The word weak can make us think that we are like innocent victims. That's not the case. We were not innocent victims. We were weak morally because we were strong in pride. And strong in rebellion. And strong in lust and in greed. That's why we were weak. We were ungodly. We were against God. All of us were before God saved us through Jesus. And yet God saw us in our ungodliness, our rebellion, our wickedness. And in great Mercy and grace showed undeserved compassion. Undeserved love by sending Jesus to die for us. The third thing I saw here, God's love is one of a kind. Verses 7 and 8. Listen to what Paul says. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, most people would never die for another person. A tiny few might be willing to die like a soldier for a fellow soldier in battle. We hear stories of that. Or for a loved one or for a family member. A tiny few would be willing to do that. But who would die for someone who was knowingly, consciously wicked, evil? Who would die for someone like that? No one would. But God saw us in our wickedness and sent Jesus to die for us. Ungodly. While we were still sinners. In astonishing love, he sent his precious son to die for us sinners. So let that, let that sink into your hearts. There's no other love like God's love. That's the point Paul wants to make here. I mean, we enjoy seeing pictures of love, right? Movies, whatever. We just got a picture recently from our son and daughter-in-law and, and our son's walking in a park. His back is walking away, holding a little one-year-old daughter. Okay? Love that picture. It's the beautiful picture of love right there. I love it. Or think about a wife who, whose husband tells her, I know I just got paralyzed. You, 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 can, you can leave if you want to. She says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm yours. We love pictures of love, don't we? Powerful, powerful pictures of love. Mother nursing her baby. But see, compared to the cross, all other pictures of love fade away. They're they're, they're beautiful, but there is no comparison. God's love is one of a kind. So far greater than the greatest, most beautiful human love there is. No other love even comes close. God's love is one of a kind. Remember the old hymn where the lyrics go, amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? How can that be? God has shown his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Are you seeing what he's shown? Are you seeing it? Do you see it? Oh, friend, you you know this, this will transform our lives. This will change everything. This is the God who's created the universe. Aren't you glad this is what God's like? I mean, God could have been an ogre. He could have been a torturer. He could have been what? God has shown his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One other aspect of God's love shown here God's love is unstoppable. This is really crucial for hope. You'll see why in a moment. In verses 9 and 10, the point Paul is making here is that since God has done the hardest thing, paying for our sins by sending His Son to the cross, the hardest thing, it's easy for God to take those saved people and make sure we all make it to heaven. That's easy. He's done the hardest thing, sending His Son to the cross. And so the easiest thing will surely happen. Verse 9, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood. There's the hardest thing. Much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Surely future salvation, not being cast into hell, that's easy because the cross has happened. My son has died to pay for sin. That's easy once the cross happens. And then verse 10. For if while we were enemies, We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Now that, wow, we were enemies. Our sin had made God wrathful against us and our sin was making us angry against God. We were enemies and God reconciled these enemies himself to us, us to himself through Jesus' death on the cross. The hardest thing, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Easier. Easier. Paul's point is, because you're trusting Christ now, because you've been forgiven now, justified now, reconciled to God now, because that hardest thing has happened through the cross, because you are now trusting Christ, you can be 100% certain that God's, He started this thing with the hardest work. Now, He's for sure going to carry you all the way to heaven. There's just no question about it. It's not going to drop any on the way. You are going to be there. It is absolutely certain, Philippians 1.6, the good work God started he will continue all the way to the day of Christ Jesus. So just get this, because you're trusting Jesus Christ right now, okay, you're, you're, are, you, are you trusting him? You can be 100% assured you'll be in heaven. It's not presumptuous to say that. So God has said, we, we're just trusting his promise. God's love is unstoppable. What he started with the difficult work of the cross, he will not stop, he'll never stop it. Okay, he won't stop until, no, he... It'll never stop. It's unstoppable forever. That's God's love. And God has shown his love for us. in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God's love is compassionate. God's love is undeserved. God's love is one of a kind. And God's love is unstoppable. And when we see He's he's shown this love to us. When we see in history this objective demonstration of his love, his son on the cross saying, it is finished. When we see that, we will know that the hope of heaven will not put us to shame. The hope of heaven will not disappoint us. Why? Because that love we see displayed, that's God. Only God has that kind of love. And there it is. It's displayed. So it's real. He's real. We know God's real. We know his love is real. And because his love is real, his promise of heaven is real. The God who loves that much isn't going to promise you something and then, just kidding, Jesus' blood was shed to purchase that for us. That promise is real. So you have every reason to be rock solid, 100% certain that the hope of heaven is yours. The joy of beholding God's glory is yours. It's just a matter of time. Just a matter of time. And we know that our experience of suffering in this life, when we stand before God, see his glory shining through Jesus, his love is. His glory, experiencing that in heaven will make all our sufferings worth it. David Crowder's got a song. I think I've mentioned it before. I just love the, the one little line. Earth has no sorrows that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrows that heaven can't heal. When you see Jesus, when you see God's love, when you see his glory shining in Christ, the, the joy of that, the pleasure of that, the wonder of that will make it all worth it. And see, it's that hope that carries us through our suffering now. That's why we rejoice in our sufferings now. It all hangs on that hope. Do you feel that? It all hangs on that hope. And that hope is rock solid sure. Because we have felt God's love by the Holy Spirit, in our hearts, and we have seen God's love in history. It is rock, solid, sure. So, friends, let's rejoice in our sufferings. It's not easy. That joy will be through tears many times. It can be heartbreaking, the sufferings that our brothers and sisters go through. But let's rejoice in those because suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character is going to assure us even more that we're going to be there in heaven and so we'll be rejoicing in our sufferings because of that. That's what Paul is saying here. And now Paul's not finished. One more thing. He doesn't want us thinking that this is just all about the future. He wants to remind us of what we have right now what we have in God right now. What does Paul remind us we have right now? Let's raise that question. And the answer is in verse 11. He kind of brings us back home here. Okay, now now, back to now. What do we have now? Verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. We're not just waiting for a joy that will be out there in the future. Won't that be wonderful? It is waiting out there in the future, and it will be wonderful. But we have amazing joy in God now. We've been reconciled to God now. You and God are, are like this, right? You can know Him, love Him, trust Him, talk to Him, worship Him glorify Him, follow Him, you are reconciled to God now. This is beautiful. So let me apply this in two different ways, just in closing here. First of all, for those of you who are not yet trusting Jesus, we are glad you're here. And we long to have you. Maybe this morning, may it be this morning that this, this would be the day when you turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord and your treasure. What I want to impress upon you is if you're not yet trusting Jesus, understand what He offers you. Understand what Jesus Christ offers you. This is what God has made available to you through sending His Son to the cross. Two words justification and reconciliation. I mean, justification, right now, because you're not trusting Christ, you are guilty before God for your sin. You're guilty. There's there's wrath, just, holy, perfect wrath coming. And you're guilty. And God sent Jesus to pay for the sins of all who trust Him. And because Jesus did that, the moment you turn and you put your trust in Jesus Christ, at that moment, God counts your Undeserving faith as perfect righteousness, the perfect righteousness that covers your whole life, past, present, and future. Perfect righteousness before God, completely forgiven. No more wrath. No more fear. An eternity of joy in knowing a God with this kind of love. That's what Jesus offers you. Justification, the first word. And then reconciliation. You and God are enemies right now. You've been sinning against Him, turning your back on Him, and He in His just, holy, perfect wrath your enemies. But God sent the Son, Jesus, to the cross so that you could be reconciled. He paid for all of your sins. So God has no more wrath. God pours His wrath out upon Jesus. The moment you put your trust in Jesus, all the wrath that you deserve for your sins was poured out upon Jesus. He paid. Jesus paid it all. And so you can be reconciled to God, so you know Him. You can walk with him. You can experience his love pouring into your heart. You can read his word. You can worship him. You can fellowship with him. You will know God. Not just know about God off in the distance somewhere, but you will know God. If you're reconciled to someone, then you're reconciled to them, right? So if you're not yet trusting Christ, look at what Jesus offers you. Justification and reconciliation. Are you going to turn away from infinite love displayed on the cross? Are you really going to turn your back on that and walk away? Today, now, put your trust in Christ. Trust him. Trust him. (laughs) Second application. If you've been reconciled, those of you who are trusting Christ, then pursue joy in God. More than that, we rejoice in God, our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what justified people do. We rejoice in God. Do you? Do you rejoice in God? I'm not talking about, well, you know, my circumstances are going pretty well. I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, I'm rejoicing in God. That is not rejoicing in God. Anybody can feel joy in their circumstances going well. Where was God in that? It's not even... Well, I'm rejoicing that I'm not not going to go to hell. I'm happy about that. So yeah, I'm rejoicing in God. Listen, who wouldn't rejoice of not going to hell? But you don't need to be rejoicing in God to have that joy. Joy in God is joy in God, who he is. And the joy of knowing God is vastly greater than joy in your circumstances going well. It's vastly greater than the joy of I'm not going to hell. Don't settle for less. You've been reconciled to God. You can fellowship with Him. You can behold Him. You can know Him. Now, this joy doesn't come automatically. We have to pursue it, right? I certainly do. It does not come automatically to me. It doesn't come automatically to any of us. So I want to urge us who are trusting Christ, pursue joy in God. Have you been doing that? Like, for example, regularly read the Bible. Regularly read the Bible. These things I've spoken to you, Jesus says, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Regularly read the Bible and pour your soul out before God in prayer. Give him every concern, every disappointment, every difficulty. Ask for his help. Fellowship with God in prayer. Confess your sins and experience the joy of being assured of forgiveness. Beautiful joy. Forgiveness. (laughs) Become part of a church community, part of a church family. Church isn't just going to a meeting once a week. It means having brothers and sisters that you know and love. And if if Grace Church is the church God calls you to be a part of, we would be thrilled. But there's other strong churches here in Abu Dhabi. The point isn't to be part of Grace Church. We would love that, but listen: get into a church. Become part of a church. Develop relationships in that church. Be part of that church community. Not just a meeting once a week. Because because as brothers and sisters come together to love each other, to pray for each other, joy comes in God. He will use that fellowship. Learn and trust God's promises. And learn and obey God's commands. And then set your hope on the joy of beholding God's glory forever in heaven. And let that hope strengthen you. And give you joy as you go through the suffering of this life. That's what Paul's calling us to do. Rejoice in God. And as you do these things, you will have times where God pours his joy out upon you so your heart is overflowing. You don't need anything else. You have him. He's your treasure. You're filled. He'll give you times where you experience that. Four of heaven. Of the hope that's to come. Let's stand together. I want to pray. Father, I pray that you would touch those who are not yet trusting Christ and let them see your love displayed in the cross. Now, let them see it. Don't let Satan distract them or confuse them. Let them see and let them trust and be saved. And Lord, those of us who are trusting Christ, let us see your love, to see that this hope will never disappoint. It will not put us to shame. So we are rejoicing in you and we are rejoicing in our sufferings for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen.